Our precious Father, I want to thank you again for the privilege we have tonight to study your word, to teach your word as we surrender ourselves to you, through ourselves into your merciful hand. Father, that you will use us to teach us and help us to understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we are going to discuss something very, very interesting. Um, the Spirit with us and the Spirit upon us. We're going to start our introduction to the Spirit upon us. We're going to talk about the Spirit with us today and part of the Spirit upon us. Our text is John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because he seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. For he dwelleth with you, dwelleth with you, dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. And I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. So as our introduction, we have been looking at the Holy Spirit within us, what he's doing in us individually. We are his home address. He lives in us. <clears throat> he works in us to make us conform to the image of Christ. That is his primary work in the life of the Christian. He witnesses to our spirit the realities of our salvation. Thus, he gives us revelation about the word of God. He gives us uh, understanding about what Christ did for us. These things are beyond human understanding. You cannot understand them with your mental faculties. Again, he guides us from within and works and does things for us according to his power in us or because of his presence in us. His presence and his power the same. The power is there because he is there. So he does all these things for us, and we taught them a couple of weeks. Uh, so it's just a reminder. So what does conforming to the image of Christ really look like? Second Corinthians 5.14. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Either way, Christ's life, love controls us. Why does it control, control us? Because we believe that Christ died for us and we have all died to our old life. So that the life now we have is his life. And his life controls you or controls me. When the Bible says his love controls us, he is love. That's his core nature. So it means when Christ is controlling me, then that's what it means to be conforming to his image, when he is the one living through me. Verse 15 says, he died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. When I'm not living for myself, I'm not living for myself. Instead, they will live for Christ. When Jesus takes over my life, and everything that is happening in my life is him, then we are conforming to his, his character and his image. In Romans 8, 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's exactly what it means. It means to be led of the Spirit in everything that we do. Just like our Lord Jesus lived his life, 
He said, I can do nothing of my own. It's what I hear the Father say, that I say the words I speak are not my own. I don't do anything on my own. I'm not even interested in, in consulting my own will or anything. It's just the Father that is doing all this work through me. That's exactly how a Christian should live his life. Then you can know that you are conforming to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says in Romans 6, 13, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. You, I yield myself to Christ. You yield yourself to Christ. Instead, give yourself completely to God. We talked about this last Thursday, what you do with your body and what you do with your soul. We talked about it, our responsibility is to make sure that we yield our bodies to the Lord Jesus Christ to use as instrument of righteousness. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Just like Paul said, it's no longer I that leave it, but Christ. Quit means Christ owns me, does everything through me. I'm, left, I'm just dead. So that's what it means really to conform to, the, to, the, to, the, to Christ Jesus, to let him control and let him. It's not a bunch of laws. It's, a, it's, a, it's his life being dominant in our lives. His life, his spirit controlling me, being dominant in what I, what I do, you know, and leading me and guiding me. That's what it is. So we need to, again, we thought about um, identifying ourselves correctly, that we are spirit, soul, and body. And then we need to do this so that we can have a more productive uh, relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because if we relate with him with the wrong part of us, it's not going to work. It's not going to work at all. It won't work. And so we said we must understand that we are a spirit being that, and we have a soul and we live in a body. And then here is a Paul's prayer that we know that Paul was really focused on this. He knew this very well. And he was operating from this perspective. So in Philippians 4.23, he said, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. See, he was so conscious of our spirit personality, our spirit being. He said, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He knows that we are spirit personalities. And in Ephesians 3.16, he said that he will grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened in your spirit, the inner man, not the outer man. So he was conscious of the fact that the Christian is a, a spirit personality, born again, born of the spirit. Not born of of the flesh, but born of the spirit. It's called born again. And in Romans 1, 9, he said, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without season I make mention of you always in my prayer. He said, he said I serve God with my spirit. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Praying that God will strengthen you in the inner man, strengthen you in your spirit being. So Paul was very, very aware that we are uh, spirit personalities. Being born again to him was not just a church jargon. It's not Pentecostal something. It's a reality. It's a reality that you've been born again. You've been born of the spirit, born of the spirit of God. You are a spirit being. It's a reality. So, and we relate with God by that our spirit. That's why Paul is praying that grace of God will be with your spirit. God is strengthening you in the inner man. He said, I serve God by my spirit because the flesh will profit us nothing. We need a serious paradigm shift. We seriously need that. 
Otherwise, we can't locate God. We'll just be doing all these fleshly things, all these emotional heroes and things. And we, we dislocate, you can't locate God with that at all. You just cannot. You know? So uh, we, we, we say that it's with the spirit, we, we contact the spiritual realm. With the spiritual realm. Again, we talked about our soul, uh, which is our center of uh, the will, mind, and emotion. Our human life produced this. If, if when the human life ceases, your will, mind, and emotion ceases. It ceases. So if the human life ceases, then all this uh, soulish activity simply ceases. This means that the center of your will, mind, and emotion is really, is really your human life. It's the human life that is the center of it. Because when the human life ceases, you don't have will, you don't have emotion, you don't have anything. So uh, the scripture says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Which means it's really using the word soul synonymous with life. Some people believe that the soul is the human life. Because if the soul is the center of your will, your mind, and your emotions, then the center of it is your life, is the human life, not the human spirit. It's the human life that produces that. Because if, you, if the spirit lives and your, your life ceases, then you don't produce that. It means that what is making, and that's the quality of a living body, a living human being, is that it has a will, it has a mind, it has emotions. So the people who are saying that the soul is really the human life, that that's, that's the center of your will, your mind, and your emotion, they're not really wrong. I think synonymously it can be used, you know, so that you properly, it's easy now to understand what the soul is, that this is the human mind, the center of, of all the will, mind, and emotion is your human life. If your human life is no more there, you don't have mind, nothing, you don't have will, you don't have emotion. So the center of it all, the thing that makes it work is your human life. A living, the Bible calls it living soul. Living soul. There is nothing like dead soul. It's a living soul. Living soul. Living human life that produces emotions, produces will, produces mind. So those who say that it's, a, it's, a human, it's a, your human life, they're not really, uh, you, you can't fault them for that. There are so many definitions of it, but it's all about your will, mind, and emotion. That's what the soul is, the center, where if it's just, your life is not the center, what rest is it being produced? It's not your spirit, though. It's not your spirit, because your spirit is totally different from your mind, will, and emotion. So it has to be your human life that is the center of it all. Well, so uh, let's continue. If you want to contact the spirit word, I call the word of God the spirit word because Jesus said, "My words, I the words I speak to you, they are spirit." If you want to contact the spirit word of God with your intellect, all you can do is to hold it in the mental realm of ascent. You can't have understanding because the word of God is never mentally designed. It's not, never mentally discerned. It is only spiritually discerned. Only your spirit can understand the word of God. So that's why you contact the spirit realm with your spirit. Now, a lot of people operate in their mental realm. They read the Bible in their mental realm. They try to discern it with their mental realm in their reasoning, and it doesn't work. 
Because the mental realm will never, never, never. You can't discern the word of God with your mental faculty. It's not possible. Only when your spirit begins to reveal to your mind, begin to educate your mind, that's when it makes sense to you. But only your spirit can do that to your mind. Only your spirit can do that to your mind. So your mind cannot understand it directly from God. It is God that ministers to your spirit, and your spirit now begins to educate your mind. And your mind begins to say, ah, wow, I see it now. Then it begins to make sense. What didn't make sense before begins to make sense to you. But the Holy Spirit works through your spirit to make it happen. Now, so if, or if or all you do, and we, that part of it, we need prayer to make these things happen. If we're, if we're not seeking for revelation and we're not praying about it, we hold it in the mental realm, and all you can get is mental assent. You can say, yeah, God heals, yeah, God heals, yeah. But you may not even really understand it. You may not even believe it. You may say, yeah, I have faith in the mental, in the mental realm. That's why it is. But for you to know the difference between the mental ascent and faith, when it comes to action, you will not produce it. Because faith without action is dead. You can't produce the action. You can produce the word, 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 because words are cheap. But once to come to action of faith, you will not be able. You will not be able because you, the faith is not there. If you hold it in the mental ascent and be shouting everywhere, yeah, God can heal, God can heal. But when it comes to, okay, God has healed me, let me rise up and walk, I'll do something, you will not be able. You still be doubting because you don't, you, the word has not gotten into your spirit yet. You will not be able. You know? So then we say the body is the house of the human spirit that gives life. The body is the what houses the human spirit. And it is this human spirit that gave life to the earth formed. A, a man that God formed. Because when the spirit of man leaves, the Bible says the body is without life. The, life. the body dies. The body dies. So the body houses our human spirit, but our human spirit houses the spirit of God. The spirit of God lives in our human spirit. Okay, so that's the revision of what we did before. Today we're going to talk about the spirit among us. The spirit among us. We are his house as a corporate body, as much as we are his house individually. We are the house of the Holy Spirit individually because he lives in us. But then now as a corporate body, he again lives among us. He lives among us. So we're going to see the, the, the awesomeness of this, this arrangement, why it is so. Ephesians 2.19 so, says, so now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house. See, together as a body, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ himself. This house is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. But what is holding the whole building is Christ himself. We are 
carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling, dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So you see, God lives in us and God lives among us. It's a mystery. Again, this kind of thing, you can't understand it mentally now because you can't figure it out. God lives in me and God lives among us. You, you know, but it, it takes the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you that this is true. And by the time we go through it, you see really how it works, that that is absolutely true. And it needs to be so. So, so the Bible said that we are, we, are, we are being built a house together, together in Christ where God lives. Both Jews, Gentiles, everybody that comes to Christ. We are being built together where God lives. And the foundation of that building is the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ himself. So I want to talk about this foundation so we understand it very well. The foundation of the apostles and prophets, what does it mean? The foundation of the church is Christ himself. There's no doubt about it. There's no other foundation anybody can lay. I said that which is laid, which is Christ himself, yes, for sure. So the, but the foundation of the apostles and prophets is easy to understand. Even though the foundation of the church is Christ, but the foundation of the apostles and the prophets the scripture is referring to is the revelation of Christ given to them. Is the revelation of Christ given to them which define their work. So Christ is the foundation. But we need to know him now. We need to understand now who he is. And so this revelation that is given to them that makes, makes, makes us know who the foundation is. The Bible describes this as the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The, the foundation laid, Christ was laid through them in form of words, written words for the child to read. So if it is not what was already revealed to them, listen to this, if it is not what was already revealed to them and recorded by scripture, it is not the proper foundation. You can't build a doctrine, build your faith, build anything on it. It's a wrong foundation. If what you're building on is not what already has been revealed to the prophets of old and the apostles of the New Testament, as recorded in the scripture, then you are building on the wrong foundation for your, for your doctrine. That's why the Bible said that the, the scripture is given to us for doctrine, instructions. So if it is not based on the work of the prof, uh, uh, prophets of old and the apostles, you are laying on poor, bad, it's not God's foundation, which is Christ. That foundation that does not reveal Christ is not God's foundation. And if it's not backed up by scripture, it's not proper foundation. It is not. Somebody can come and say, you know what? I have a new, some people say, oh, the, the spirit is giving us new revelation. There's nothing like that. Anybody's telling you, oh, I have a new revelation beyond the Bible is demonic. It's not true. Completely lie. Because the foundation of, the Bible says it, this work is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. Christ is the cornerstone. 
So you can't build anything except on the revelation that God gave to the prophets. Quit the road down. And the apostles came and gave us interpretation. Quit the road down. It's the scripture. It's the scripture. I heard somebody saying, you know, that Paul began to teach a new thing where he said that the Gentiles should not become Christians. It's not a new thing. The prophets wrote it before. It was written by the prophets being, being fulfilled in the time of the apostles. That's nothing new. Don't let anybody deceive you in these last days. People are wanting to, wanting to support the evil they do, the iniquity they do, the abominations they do, and they want to, they, they want to um, say that the Bible, oh, the Bible is not sufficient, that the Holy Spirit is different from the Bible. It's a lie. For God is the word. The word and the spirit agree. In the beginning was the word and the word is God. So the spirit of God cannot be different from the word. You must understand why the scripture wrote all these things. So we know what, when you see this, the foundation that is not a revelation of Christ according to the work of the, of the prophets and the apostles, it is not God, it is not Christ, it is not what Christ is upholding as the chief cornerstone. Look at, look at Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the Lord of Moses. When he talks about the Lord of Moses, he's talking about the writings of Moses. The Lord of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. You see, everything they wrote is the work they did. Those are the foundational works that reveals Christ. Quit the apostles now, the Holy Spirit gave the, gave the apostles the interpretation and they recorded it for the church. He said, everything they wrote has been fulfilled in me now. I've come to fulfill all, all their writings now. Now the Holy Spirit came to interpret it to the church and the apostles also recorded their witnessing. So the, the Bible is Old Testament and New. John 1, 50, 40, 45. Philip finded Natalia and said unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophet did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You see, they received revelation of Christ. And Christ came and fulfilled those things. And then the Holy Spirit came to interpret the work of Christ to the apostles, and they started to write the New Testament letters. So anything outside the, the, the scripture from the Old Testament to the New it's not on the foundation which Christ upholds. It's not on the work of the, of the prophets and the apostles. You should not take it. Our Lord says in Luke 24, 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expanded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, that all the scriptures is giving you a revelation of me, the works they did, the foundation of the prophets, is the work they did, and the apostles is the work they did, which Christ Jesus is the cornerstone, the main thing they are focusing on, the main message they are bringing is Christ. Acts 28, 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus Concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and of the prophets, from morning till evening, verse 31, 
preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no man can forbid him. Paul was witnessing to what the prophets have written, what Moses wrote about Jesus. See, this is the foundational truth. The foundational truth, what they wrote, which God is now now revealing the interpretation to the apostles. And they also wrote their own. So in 2 Timothy 3.16, it's important that we understand this thing so that you are not deceived in this last day. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is now given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, you see what I mean? For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All scriptures, all scriptures, all scriptures. Paul wrote somewhere, he said that these things are now being revealed to us, his holy uh, apostles. This is now being revealed to us, his holy apostles. So the, 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 the revelation to them was also recorded. The revelation to Moses and the prophets were also recorded. Everything about Christ was recorded in the whole scripture. So if the scripture does not underwrite that thing, it's wrong foundation. Christ is not upholding that thing. So you better go away from them. So there is no new revelation outside the foundational work of the prophets and apostles. There's nothing. Then another scripture that tells us about what you know we started to talk about that we're being built up a place of habitation for him. And then the scripture expanded to talk about, you know, this foundation of this building is the work of the prophets. And the, I mean, Moses, the prophets, and the apostles. So that this building is being built on a, a solid foundation that Christ, the, the cornerstone, is holding together. So now, another scripture that tells us that Christ, God is really among us. The building that we're talking about is, is the church that is built on the truth, not the one that is built on lies. Not the one that they gather and say we are church, but they are building themselves on lies. That's not, the foundation is not on the revelation of who Christ is. On the revelation of the love of God, which is pure. The Bible says God is holy in all his ways, including his love. His love does not violate his moral principles. It doesn't. Christ is not a minister of iniquity. People who gather and, and, and corrupt themselves Corrupt, follow whatever spirit they want, and are not, are not, and are not preaching the truth of Jesus based on the foundation of the prophet of the Moses prophets and apostles. That's not the church that God lives in. It's not the church He lives in. Oh, it's not. And if you join them, you join a strange place. Then he says in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. In my name, not in the name of another strange spirit. No, sincerely in his name. Now, the significance of this, his presence in us, I mean among us, is right here. Exodus 33, 14. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you, Moses. The Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know 
that you look favorably on me and on me and your people if you don't go with us. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. So his presence in his church sets his church apart from every gathering, every gathering, anywhere. His presence among his, the body, the body of Christ in his church sets it apart. It's not, a, it's not a normal social garden. It makes all the difference that God is in their midst. It differentiates it from any other gathering you attend. It differentiates it from any other thing you attend. Anywhere you go, it's not the same thing with the gathering of the children of God, the body of Christ. Why? God lives among. Moses said, this is what sets us apart. You see why his presence is in us, but it has to be among us as we gather together. You see why he's there? Moses said, if you don't go with us, please, we are not going. Because is that your presence that makes all the difference between us and any other group, any other gathering, anywhere, anywhere. And then David said in Psalm 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. See? See what his presence makes? His presence removes fear. It removes fear. It removes fear. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Your authority comforts me. Your power comforts me. It removes fear. So that the church can function without fear all the days of our life. Now, this building that is built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets and apostles is where believers serve as priests. That's the mystery of the church. It's where believers serve Jesus as priests. We are not called to be saying, I'm a Christian growing up. No, no. We have, a, we have divinely appointed function. Every Christian must know this. And if you are not fitting into that, you are missing out something. This building that God is building, and where he lives, we have, that's where we serve him as priests unto him. Revelation 1.9. And had made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Where Peter wrote this in Face Peter, he, he talked about we being built up a place of habitation for him, and he made us priests. First Peter, I think First Peter one something, I've forgotten what it is. And he made us priests unto himself. So that this place of habitation is where the Christian should serve God as a priest. Very important. That's why God is saying, I'm here, serve me. I'm here. So what do priests do? They offer sacrifices. They offer sacrifices. And so the Christian offers sacrifices too. But not the sacrifice of blood. Not the sacrifice to take out our, our sin. But there is a sign sacrifice that we offer in this house where God says, I'm living here. Serve me here. Serve me here. You, you do understand that God, God told Moses to build a temple, and his presence was there, and they were worshiping him there. 
But that temple was built with human hand. God said, I don't live in that kind of temple. So I'm going to build myself a temple. I have built us when he created us new in Christ. So he's building us now as a, a place of his habitation. And he dwells in our midst so that we too can worship him and serve him. See why he's among us and building this temple. Now, so we should bring him sacrifice. In, in Hebrew 13, 15, it said, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. That's one sacrifice, that's one sacri priestly duty the Christian has. That's one priestly duty we have in the church. That when we gather, we should offer God this sacrifice of praise. We, you don't do it because it's Sunday morning. It is assigned, assigned responsibility to the Christian, not just the choir, to the Christian as a priest serving in the house of the Lord, that he should offer this sacrifice of praise to God. It's not, it's not just sacrifice because you are passing through difficulty and then you have to, you must praise him. That's not the context I'm talking about. I'm talking about context of responsibility. That's why whether you're, it's good or bad, you do it because it's responsibility. As a priest, we bring this sacrifice to God who is living among us. So you should know the, the importance of your being engaged when there is worship, when people are singing. You don't stand aloof. You should get, because that's your responsibility in the house of God as God's appointed priest. It's not just the choir. It's for you to get involved get, and say, Lord, I'm, I'm a priest. I came here to bring this sacrifice of praise to you. So you get engaged, put all your mind in it, put all your, everything like he's here and I'm doing it to him, for him, to his glory. He's living right here. His presence is here. So you can't come to church, come to a garden and they are singing and you just sit there like a, a statue. You are not fulfilling that, that your assignment. assignment. You are not. Every Christian must know it. We bring the sacrifice into the house of the Lord. Where he is. And then we see in Hebrew 13, 16, another sacrifice we are supposed to bring. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. You know, it's not that I'm sacrificing something to give. No, it is your duty as a priest to do this and in the house of the Lord oh my God that's why it's done now huh? when you read the scripture you find the Bible said those who have land they brought sold it and brought so, so that those who don't have have that's what it's talking about this is the kind of sacrifice that pleases God we do it to those outside but more so to the household of God so that a brother cannot be hungry a sister cannot be hungry that scripture, that is what they did in the early church and the spirit was exploding all over them. That is your assignment as a Christian. 
Then when the, we are in the church, we will talk about less privileged brethren. The church must organize. Jesus said, don't forget the poor. Paul said, yeah, this is what I'm, I'm proposed to do in my, in my life. You don't forget them. And they were collecting things for the poor brethren in, in Jerusalem. It is part of the sacrifice, part of, the, part of what you are supposed to do in the house of the Lord. Is that nobody in the house of the Lord should go home hungry, go home with no clothes. Go, no, they were not fulfilling that assignment of Christ. To do good and, and to remember the poor. All you need to do is to, is to read the early church and find how they were, how they were living together. What, I mean, how they were sharing things together. Making sure that the Bible said none, was, none had need. Those who had says brought it according to the scripture. Our coming to church is not just to come and sit on good chairs and go home. We must offer these sacrifices. That's why he's building this place so that the church will begin to care for one another, care for one another, take care of one another in an organized way. See, that's why the church is important. In an organized way, in an organized manner, a purposefully program. When they talk of CCP, you wake up. You have to, as a priest of God, this is one of the sacrifices that pleases God. When you dip into your pocket, I know that somebody is not eating for Christmas. I have to invest there. We don't do it because it's CCP. It is our duty as priests in the house of God, where God says, I live here and I'm building you up as a temple. But these are the things I want you to be doing in this temple. As my priests, bring me sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Because priests offer sacrifices. Again, I'm not talking in the context of uh, sacrifice because something happened to you. you. I mean, if you understand the context, you know you do it all the time. As a matter of assigned responsibility. And then, in, in, do you know, the Spirit of God is so orderly. In this Hebrew chapter 13, after verse 16, he now tells us the need of orderliness in his church. So that all these things will be done in order. He just, just read it now. Hebrew 13, 15, 16. After telling us, hey, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. He now, in order for it to be orderly, he talks about leadership. Because God is a God of order. So he said, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say so that this thing is done in order. I don't want every, everybody is a big guy. Everybody knows what to talk. That's confusion. Then you can't carry out these things. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That will certainly not be for your benefit at all. You see, so God says, I want sacrifices. You're all priests, but I don't want everyone coming and but he showed I'm a priest, you're a priest. Say, no, there has to be order. You have to follow instruction. So in my house, there is orderliness. And then you know, there is another sacrifice, the sacrifice of service to him. As a priest, we are supposed to offer him sacrifice of service. What does it look like? Philippians 2.17. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life. Pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. You see, priests bring offering. Sacrifice of offering. 
just like your faithful service is an offering to God. As a priest, you bring, bring the sacrifice of priests, bring the sacrifice of faithful service in the house of God, where God is organizing his people so that he's able to use them to do things among them, do things outside of them. The faithful service of a Christian is his sacrifice to God. The first post service, the Sunday school teacher who is faithful in it. The life center leader who is faithful in it. The choir member who is faithful in it. The usher who is faithful in it. And somebody who says, I need to be serving somewhere because I have to bring him a faithful service. You can't come to church, sit down, be going. You are, you are not serving fully. Faithful service is an offering to God. That's why God set up this big thing called his temple. He says, I'm among you. So you know I'm among you. So that you serve me with that. Bring me that. I love to sit. Paul said, I poured my life out as, a, as an offering to him. So you too, your faithful service is an offering to God. He's in the temple. Bring it to him. And he said, yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. Bring it with joy. Don't bring it grumbling. <laughs> And say, uh, if you know what they did to me. But when they do worse things to your job, you don't talk. You go and be walking. It's only in the church we find easy reason to stop serving Jesus. Because our love is gone cold. But because you love money, in your job they do worse things to you. But you go, you wake up 5 to 8 to get ready and still go. And go there and be smiling and serving them. Because you get a check. You get a check. But if it, we shortchange God. He's only with things of God. We, we find what they did. I'm not mad in again. We should change God. God blesses you with children. You won't come to church for much. Even after your doctors have certified you good. And you go to shop right. You go to, you go to everywhere. You go. Oh, you go to church. You know, I just had a baby. But you go to, you go, you go to shop right now. All those places you do, you go to Costco. You go to Makala and buy chicken. But the only place you won't go is the house of God. That's unfaithful priest. Once your doctor satisfies you, satisfies you healthy enough to go out, and then your, your baby is old, strong enough to go out, and you're able to go out to do other things, I don't see why you can't come to church once a week, at least. We always like to shortchange God. And in the process, we rob ourselves of the blessings of those things. Out of ignorance. Somebody was saying yesterday about how God showed them that some Christians, they don't want the, the mercy of God, they are running away from it. This is part of it, ignorance. Because all these things, it's not real. It's for your own good. <laughs> it can unleash divine blessing on you. So in, in Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, <clears throat> and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. 
Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. See, this is another sacrifice that we bring to him. <clears throat> we give him our time, our money, our, you know, take my hand and let it be. That's that crap. The Holy Spirit said, that's a sacrifice. And that's the way to worship him. When you surrender, you came into this world with nothing. Absolutely nothing. You will leave this world with nothing. All this fight holding back on this is lack of wisdom. Completely lack of wisdom. It's like you gave, you gave a, a child a cookie and you're saying, give me so I'm not giving you. But you gave it to him. You gave it to him. And you still have pockets. But he doesn't know that this thing he's doing don't give me. You gave it to him. God gave us a life. What do you have that was not given to you? Your time, you know, the songwriter said, my time is in your hand. That's a, that's a powerful statement. My time is in your hand. As a priest in the house of God, you, you, sacrifice, you give him sacrifice of everything. Sacrifice, if he needs it, you give it to him. Sacrifice of everything. And he said, I'm not unrighteous to forget the works of love you've done in my name. I see it. I'm in the temple. I watch what you bring. Don't bring, bring me things of faith. Don't bring God grumbling things, you know, left over. I say, oh God, you have to take it now. He told us <clears throat> that, you know, Lord, this is amazing. He said, he said in Matthew 6, 33, you can begin to understand Matthew 6, 33 now. But seek you faith, the kingdom of God. Seek, bring, seek, give to me first. The prophet said to the woman, Do, give me faith. God said, give me faith so I can bless it and return to you. Give me faith. Give me faith. That's what God said. Give me faith. If you give me first, I will package it and return to you. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Give me first. Bring the sacrifice first. Jesus said, what do you have? They said, three, two loaves, three fish. He said, give me first. And when they gave it to Jesus, when he returned it to them, he did what they couldn't do all their lifetime. Give me your time. <laughs> give me your life. Give me your talent. So when I return it, every other thing will be added. Oh no, we'll do that. You see how human wisdom hinders us from the best of God. And we're frustrated. Fight. Seek, praying and fasting for the things he said, I'll add to you if you follow this principle. Be a priest that is faithful. Do it. Then I will return to you. What's he doing with all of this? Nothing, but he will take it and return it to you. So 
So it says in Romans 12, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So you worship him. And then the, that fulfills the purpose of creating us. Though. That are what the Revelation 4 11, that at what the old Lord to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We are created for his pleasure. The purpose for which you say, God healed me, God healed you is grace and mercy. But remember the purpose he healed you so that you continue to function in the mode he, created, he wants you to function. That he, he created you for pleasure, for his pleasure, for his pleasure. We live at his pleasure. When they say you, you serve as this, this person's pleasure, it means you are here to do what he tells you to do. And he can fire you. So you can see the usefulness of um, the, the, the God among us so that we can fulfill our, the, the reason for which we are living. So we can fulfill our responsibility in the kingdom. And you can see why God said, look, don't, 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 don't neglect the garden of yourself together, as some people do, because I'm in that place. And I'm here, I set it up so that you serve me. And then serving me, you can be a blessing to people, a blessing to the world. You know, like, like look at evangelism, for instance. Isn't it the church that organizes evangelism and supports missionaries? This, do they fall from the from? Is it not a group of people that collect their money and send to me? Look at the missionary we support. It, it, that's what they say, serve me. Serve me so that I can reach people. I can reach people. It has to be in an organized way. So you can't, you can't say, oh, no, ah, I, I, it, is, it is me and God. I know what I'm doing. No, you're not fulfilling his call, his purpose. His purpose is that he's building you up a temple where he is and where he said you are a priest. So you come and bring that sacrifice to the house of the Lord. And let me show us another thing that his presence Another usefulness of his presence is his power in our midst. The presence of Jesus is his power in our midst. Don't look for his power when he's there. Don't look for his power. I mean, I'm here. I'm here. I'm standing here. If you want to look for my strength, I'm here now. I'm here now. If I have all these muscles and I can carry everything, if I'm here, I can carry, my being carrying this because I'm here. Don't differentiate, don't dif make a difference between the presence of God and his power. It's the same thing. If God is there, he's there with all his power. He's not there with one quarter of his power. No, he's there with all his power. So if God says, I'm in your midst now, it means that he's there with the fullness of, fullness of his power. So in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, and it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Why? The Lord was there. The Lord was there. 
So quit means every time we gather, the Lord is here with all his power to heal, to deliver. He's there. He's there. But the point is that the present day body of Christ does not even know what the church is. They don't understand the temple and who is there. And because they don't understand who is there, they disrespect him and quench his spirit, grieve him. And he's there, the power is there, but he's doing nothing. He's just watching. He's just watching. Acts chapter 5. A certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the prize. His wife was also privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why had Satan filled their heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? See what Peter is saying? Ananias, how come you don't even know who is here? This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Because we don't, you know, it's just like many of the songs we sing. We enjoy them, but we don't believe them. I can give you a couple of them. We don't believe them. And Ananias didn't know when the scriptures, God says, that's the temple where I am. He didn't believe it's true. And Peter said, how are you lying to the Holy Spirit? He's here. He's here. Why has Satan feared that heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the prize of the life? Who was Ananias? Who was Ananias talking to? He was talking to Peter. Didn't see any Holy Spirit. But Peter said, This is the house of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm building up a temple for me. I'm here. Why are you lying to him? I mean, you can imagine the attitude we bring to church. You can imagine such disrespectful attitude that we bring to church. First Corinthians eleven seventeen. But in the following instructions, but in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. This is a bunch of Christians, so very carnal people. See what they did. He said, but in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. Why? For it sounds as if as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. So when you come together, you do more harm than good to yourselves. Okay, you don't know who's there. 18. First, I hear that there are divisions among you where you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. That's number one. <laughs> number 19, verse 19. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. He said, that's how you know those who are of God, those who are not of God. So you see all this character that people carry out in church. That's what tells you who is of God and who is not of God. Because the Bible said that it's, it's a mixed multitude. Tear and, and wheat, they grow together. Then let's continue. He said, but of course there must be division among you now, so that 
so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. Verse 20. When you meet together, you will not are, when you meet together, you, not, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. You see, the Lord's Supper they used to take is not the way we take it now. They used to take it as a meal. Because when Jesus was giving it, it was not the way we took it now, we take it now. The Bible said he was giving this during supper. It was during supper. It was during meal. And if you look at tradition of the Bible and things, you find that covenants are celebrated with meals, like marriage meals. Covenants are always celebrated with meals. And the Holy Communion is a celebration of covenant. So they, were not, they don't do it the way we do it now. They do it with food. Everybody bring your food and they eat it together. You will see it here. And you see why they were dying. Because they didn't recognize who was there. Verse 19. But of course, there must be the so verse 20. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper 21. For some of you, hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. You see how they do that? It says, some of you, you hurry to eat your own meals without sharing with others. You say, you are not interested in the Holy Communion. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. <laughs> they get drunk. 22, what? Don't you have your own homes to eat for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? You see what God says? It's a, it's a, it's a sacrifice of taking care of the late prefect. They were abusing it. What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on. Now, I started to tell them. This is the Holy Communion. No, you people are doing this. He said, let me teach you what Jesus revealed to me. For I pass on to you now what I received from the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord took, Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and, and gave, um, broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 25, in the same way, he took up the cup of wine after supper. You see, during the, when they were eating, he broke the bread. But he took up the wine after supper. The last thing. When they finished eating now, they were drinking, he took up the wine. After supper. So they were doing this in eating meal. And he said, um, in the same way, he took up the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with, his, with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread <clears throat> or drinks the <clears throat> this cup of the Lord unworthily, is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before you eat, before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, 
You are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Tate is carry. That's why many of you are weak and sick and some have died. Ananias died. Sephira died. Paul said, this is why people are dying. Can you imagine the kind of disrespect we bring to God, to the house of God? Paul said, that's why you are dying and you are sick. Ananias died. Sephira died. I asked the Lord, I said, why did Ananias and Sephira die? During grace, he said, you haven't been reading my word. Go and read what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. That's what attracted me to this place. So go and read it. He said, you talk of Ananias and Sephira. Many of them were dying. So go and read it now. Because they're insulting the spirit of grace. Abusing the Holy Spirit. He said, that's why many of you are weak. And sick, and some have even died at one. But if you will examine yourselves now, if we will examine ourselves, we will not be judged by God in this way. Yet when you are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. See, he said, we bring your food, wait for each other. Don't start eating and getting drunk like you used to do. Wait for each other. 34. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourself when you meet together. I will give you, instru- I will give you instructions about other matters when I arrive. You see, they were disrespecting the spirit of God there. They didn't know what the body of Christ is. So they were behaving anyhow, doing whatever they like. And Paul said, you, you people are just bringing trouble on your head. Causing yourself serious trouble. God says, I'm building a place of habitation, a holy place of habitation. I am there. But the church does not know it's there. See, that's why I've now started after Sunday school, I try to get somebody go get us together, let's start doing something, because people don't know where they are. They don't know where they are. Look at what Paul told Timothy, his son. 1 Timothy 3.14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But, I am, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Timothy, don't go there and behave now. He's there. Know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Pillar and ground of truth. So we now know what the church is. And when we gather, it says, I'm building you people up, a spiritual house for me. It's why I'm living there. I'm among you. Two or three gather in my name, I'm right there. He said, But this house is built, built upon the foundation of the apostles, I mean, prophets and the, and the apostles, Moses, prophets and apostles. So anything that's built that is not on the revelation of scripture, it's not that foundation. It's not the house he's building. You can be singing and dancing and doing whatever you like, but if, if what you are teaching is not Christ as revealed by Scripture, he's not holding it up. It's not the cornerstone holding it, what, that thing up. And then we see what we're supposed to be doing as, as, as a priest in the house of God. Our sign rule and sign responsibility, the Scripture called it sacrifices. Because priests bring sacrifices. 
It's not sacrifice because, like I said, because you know, hey, I'm passing through things. Let me worship God. Yeah, you can do it in that context, but that's not the context of that scripture. It's not the context at all. The context is that's your spiritual, that's your priestly duty that you bring to God as a sacrifice. Priests bring sacrifice. You bring it to God. But if, if you now understand it, you will now know that you should bring it continually at all times. Because you can't say, I'm not doing, I'm not doing it again. You have to continue. And we see there are some other sacrifices that, that the scripture wants the Christian to carry out and be faithful in that service. And that we shouldn't come and insult the spirit of grace, abuse the Holy Spirit that is there, and treat him with disdain. Praise the Lord. Okay, so I'm going to do introduction about the spirit upon us. I finished with the spirit among us. I started teaching about the spirit in us, the spirit among us, the church. Now I'm going to do about the spirit upon us. The spirit upon us is to demonstrate the kingdom of God. We empower the power, we empower with the power of the kingdom so that with that power of the kingdom, we can demonstrate the kingdom of God, the reality of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom. We are, we'll be dripping with the power of the kingdom. And then look at what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, that you shall receive power. That's what we receive when the Spirit comes upon us. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, upon you, upon you, upon you. Not in you, not among you, but when it comes upon you, you receive the power of the kingdom. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, that are the uppermost part of the earth, that you demonstrate the power of the kingdom. You have power in you. There is a power that worketh in you, which is the power of God, and which is the power of the Holy Spirit. But now to receive power to demonstrate the kingdom yourself is when the Spirit comes upon you. Upon you. And it is that demonstration of the kingdom that is a witness to the world that the kingdom of God is here. And Jesus is the Lord of it. Luke 24, 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, tarry you in the city of Jerusalem, until you be endued with power from on high. I went to Lagos, I was telling them, I said, all of you are fasting for anointing. Don't, don't people know you don't know what you're doing? I said, the Spirit of God said, when I baptized you in the Holy Spirit, I gave you power. I gave you power. I said, what are you doing with it and what is it? They were looking at me. I said, everybody's fasting for anointing, anointing, anointing. I said, you don't know what you're talking about. He gave you power. He gave you power. The Holy Spirit baptism is about power. That's what it is, the power of the kingdom. Let's see our Lord's example. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying. You know, they say, did he pray in the spirit? But he was praying. So when he got baptized, he didn't tell us he stopped praying. You can't have no proof he stopped. He was praying for sure, but there was no proof that he stopped. Okay, so he was praying. And the heaven was opened. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And the voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. So you can see 
that the, Holy, the, the Lord Jesus was also baptized in the Holy Spirit. But he's God. You say, why? Because the Bible says he set aside everything that made him God and became a man. If he wasn't a man, he wouldn't die. God would not die. He became a man. He became, part, he became a representative of humanity. So he would take our place. So he needed the power of the Holy Spirit now to function like we all need it. So now, now he received this baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 4, verse 14, the, the book of Luke is amazing. If you want to read about healing, study the book of Luke. By the time you finish studying, you get healed. Because Luke was a doctor, so he focused on the healing things of, the healing things of Jesus. It's a book of healing. So let's see what Luke recorded in, this, in Luke chapter 4. Amazing recording, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you return in the power of that Spirit. He returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region about, around about. And he taught in their synagogue, being glorified of all, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, which is Isaiah 61. That's what we were reading. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. So he began to tell them, this thing written here has happened. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Which means this is the time that all these things are being brought to you because of divine favor. And immediately you get baptized in the Holy Spirit Church. I don't want to discourage you, but this is true. The devils take notice of you. Immediately they take notice of you. Do you know, do you know when the church suffered greatest persecution? Was, was not before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Immediately that baptism of the Holy Spirit took place. Read the terrific persecution the devil unleashed on them. Because he knew that trouble had come for him. But you know, with that power, they still overcame him. They still defeated him. They still got 3,000 saved, 5,000 saved. <laughs> Everywhere. They still met, dealt with him. So immediately Jesus got baptized, the enemy rose up. He wanted to kill him. But with that power, he stepped on his, on his head and moved on, continued doing what he was doing. Because of that, I will not be reading Luke chapter 4, verse 22. You know, when they pushed him, when they wanted to kill him, and they pushed him, they wanted to push him over this, and he walked through them and went his way. Now, but I want to read Luke 4, 31, and just stop here. And and came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath day, 32. Look at the result of that power. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his, his word was with power. Friends, when we get baptized, this, this same thing is, as we study this thing, you see that this thing was happening in the apostles, was happening in, in members of the church. The same thing. Jesus said, the works I did, you are going to do, because it's the same spirit. It was happening exactly as was experiencing it. It was happening in their ministry. The same thing. You wonder, do, do, do I experience that? You need to go to God and say, am I really baptized in the Holy Spirit? I really believe a lot of people are not baptized in the Holy Spirit. I really strongly, I don't have any proof, but I strongly believe that. 
I strongly believe that some people are just doing blah, 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 like that. Even a lot of people are not saved. For his word was with power. And in the synagogue, there was a man which had the spirit of an unclean spirit, of an unclean devil, cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. Look at verse 36. And they were all amazed. <laughs> Men, I spoke among the saints, saying, what a word is this? They recognize the power immediately. What a word is this? For with authority and power. He was demonstrating the kingdom everywhere. He was demonstrating the kingdom everywhere is here. Kingdom of God is here. He was showing the superiority of the kingdom of God over the kingdom of the devil and the world. He was demonstrating that people were seeing it. He was revealing God through the activity of the Spirit of God. And people were rushing to see, wow, we've not seen anything like this. That's the testimony. We have not seen anything like this. We've not seen anything like this. That's the way witnessing goes. Witnessing is just giving, it's not just giving tracks. That's why he baptizes us with power. What a word is this? For with authority and power, he commanded the unclean spirit, and they came out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country around about. Well, next week, we'll continue. We'll continue with it. Uh, but now, let's go into the teaching on healing. Well, healing is here now. God sent healing through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's a matter of believing the scripture. In Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Then he said, oh, that men will praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men and let them sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving, declare his works with rejoicing. Why? He sent his word to heal us. The word he sent in the Old Testament was the words of, the, of those prophets and things. But the word he sent in the New Testament it's Christ Jesus, the word that was made flesh. And he came and brought us healing. Jesus brought us healing. Jesus Christ, the son of God, brought us healing. He's the word that God sent to heal us. And it is his mercy. Jesus, it is his mercy. It is his grace. We don't earn it. God brought Jesus as a gift of love. Romans 5, 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death. See? Sickness is, is, is death's brother. Sickness is junior brother to death. It's what leads to death. So they are the same thing and tempest. The same kind of different faces. He said, Adam's, he said, the sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace, see, God's mercy, and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it, we live in triumph over sin, over death. It means over sickness. Through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But, gross, God's, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God. A new life, not death. It reverses this one. This one brought death. This one brought new life. This one brought sickness. This one brought healing. 
This one brought condemnation. This one brought justification. It reverses it. And it is only what Christ did that brought us all these things. Verse 19, because one man disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one, 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 one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. You see, that's how we, we are made righteous. In Adam, we are made sinners. In Christ, we are made righteous because of what Jesus did. In Adam, death came. In Christ, life came. In Adam, sickness came. In Christ, healing came. Because when you talk of life, you're talking of healing. Luke chapter 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. What is more oppressing than sickness? What is more oppressing than sickness? He said, I've come to set you free from all of that. Adam's sin brought all of this, but Christ's obedience to the Father, going to the cross, brought us life. And 19 said that the time of the Lord's favor has come. It's, it's favor. It's unmerited. It looks up, that Luke chapter 4, 19, amplifies it to proclaim the accepted and acceptable year of the Lord. The day when salvation and free favors of God profusely abound. Which means healing, healing profusely abounds. Free favors of God. By the grace of God, we'll talk about this more on Sunday too. So everything God does for us is a manifestation of his mercy. Though. So you don't have to say, oh, this is why I'm not being. No, no, no. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a love offering. The Bible said the death of Adam brought death. I mean, the sin of Adam brought death. But what God did for you brought life. Adam brought you, made us sinners. Christ made us righteous. Adam brought us condemnation. Christ brought us justification. He reversed everything now. And he says, it is an act of grace. It's by grace you are saved. All this is a message. God, in, in Romans chapter 9, verse 15. I'm reading verse 15 to 16, 18, 29. 18 and 29. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, so then, people, it is not of him that wills, not of him that runs, but of God that shows us mercy. It's not, it's not by, it's God that shows you mercy, just take it. So I will show mercy to him, I will show mercy. So do I know what I, no, 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 in Christ Jesus, God has given you mercy. And Christ brought us grace, mercy, compassion. Christ is, is a gift of love. So if, for you, it's not I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Because God, God gives you mercy in Christ. Why? The blood of Jesus pleads mercy for you. You think God will deny it? I want us to read the, read the Romans chapter 5, 15 to 19. Let's see what the mercy of God did for us. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift, gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death, like we say, to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, 
but God's free gift leads us to be made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, one man Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yet, Adam's one, one sin brings condemnation for everyone. Just summarizing what I said before, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God, a new life for everyone. Because one man disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one man obeyed God, many are now made righteous. I'm just summarizing what I said from scripture so that you know that this is scripture. It's scripture. If God said, I've given you a new life. You are no more under the reign of death. You are free from Jesus. I came to set you free. You are oppressed. I came to set you free. And it's done. Finished it. Finished it. In uh, Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? This is, this is what he's doing because of his kindness and tender mercies for you. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? God says, it's not of you that run it or will it. It's God that's showing you mercy. So he said, now, nah, I've, I've, poured, I've poured my loving kindness and tender mercies on you, and then these are the things that I have done for you because of it. So you, are, you have healing, you have forgiveness of sin, you have um, redemption of your life. That man saw a good vision. He said some people, the, the mercy of God was dropping to, on them, and they were removing it and, and not... People do it. It's true. See, they were, they were, it's like, don't want it. Don't want it. And it's true. You tell people, hey, God has made you righteous by faith in Christ. They say, no. Okay, how else do you want to be righteous? God said, I'm giving you this healing as a free gift of mercy. Take it now. Stop trying to earn it. Don't join those who are saying, I don't want the mercy of God. Do you have any other thing that will save you? The Bible says, of the Lord's mercy, we are not consumed. Do you have anything else? Look at Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely now, our sicknesses are born, not going to. And our pains have carried them. And we have esteemed them plagued, smitten of God, and afflicted. And his pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace on him, and by his bruise, there is healing for me. Then he asks a simple question in Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report? It doesn't take more than this. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who has believed this report? That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has carried, has borne my sickness and carried my pain, and by his stripes God has healed me, who believes it? And it is a gift of mercy, compassion. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? And that's why this is our own. 
They say, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So it is up to us, really, to accept the report of the Lord. To say, yeah, this is mine. This is mine. And if it is God's love, if it is God's mercy, then it's mine. On Sunday, by the grace of God, I'm going to demonstrate to you people to see how the devil, that's where it is wicked. How he has blinded Christians from the love of God and the, and the mercy of God and focused them on the power. And everybody's chasing power. And they're not getting anything. I'm not allowed to teach it now. I'm allowed to teach it on Sunday. Because there are background teachings I need to do before I show you that. You will see it clearly. Clearly. If you don't accept the mercy of God, you will not accept the power of God. As simple as that. But you won't find a comfortable basis to say, yeah, this is mine. Because the devil will come and be promoting you all the time and say, how can it be yours? Look at you, how can it be yours? It is mercy. It's love and kindness. Actually, God is intrinsically merciful. God is, I don't know how to describe it. That is it. It is he's limitlessly compassionate, honestly. And what Jesus was demonstrating to us is how merciful God is. He was showing the world how God loves them. That statement for God so loved the world is not a statement of church people, just church. No. Jesus was demonstrating it. The mercy of God, the love of God. And everyone that came to him for healing, he healed them. If, unless he didn't show up. He was going on his will. He, found, he saw one woman that only the son died. The only son had died. The Bible said he, he had compassion on her. She stopped it. Say, stop. Raised the boy from the dead, handed him over to the mother, continued. He was demonstrating to the world how God loves them. How he loves them. How he loves them. How he lo everywhere, how he loved them. How he, they brought somebody caught in adulting. Say, where are those who are condemning you? They don't, he said, good, don't sin anymore. God forgives your sin. But don't, don't continue. These people want to kill you, but God is setting you free and say, go, you have another chance. You can live for another time. Don't do it again. But these people say you need to be stoned. But God said, no, don't stone here. This is the year of profuse abundance of God's mercy. That's what Jesus announced. Give her a second chance. And we saw that play out again because there's this woman that came to Jesus and was kissing his feet and crying there and with his hair was wiping it. Guess where that woman was caught? The one they nearly killed. It found the love of God and could not stop crying. When the world hated her, God said, no, I love you. And it was that love that changed. I'm not, I'm not sure if the same person, I think it's the same person. I didn't, I didn't go to study to confirm this, but I believe it's the same person. I really believe it's the same person. All those people that came to him, pouring, pouring, 
costly perfume. We are people the world gave up. They were rank sinners, prostitutes. He showed them you have value, took them and cleaned them up. And said, God made you in my image. And God loves you. He was showing the whole world, everything Jesus did was showing the whole world the love of God for them. When God said, I so love the world, he loved, he loved the world real. It's not lying. And Jesus was demonstrating it everywhere. 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 My servant is sick. I go and heal him. My daughter is dying. I go and heal him. My little girl, I go and heal him. Everywhere. Everywhere. Is it now, now that you're a child of God, that he will deny you mercy? Think of it. Is it now he will deny you mercy? And it's of the lost mercy who are not consumed. The healing of God is yours. Completely yours. Totally yours. And you'll be made whole. Jesus said, I bought it, I took Okay, say, if God is merciful on me, why am I sick? Jesus said, but I took it away now. I bore your sickness. I carried your pain. And by my stripes, healing was made available to you. So I did something. I took it away. He said, but will you believe I did that? If you want, you just thank me, accept it, and it's yours. Let us pray. Precious Father, I just want to thank you again for the word you brought us. We trust you with it, for except you open our eyes, except you give us revelation, we will not understand it. But it's your will that we shall know, we, should, we know the things of the kingdom. You want everybody to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so Lord, we trust you to teach us your word and open our eyes of understanding to understand it. So we'll come to the point of saying, yes, Lord, you really did it for me. Your love will not let me die. Your mercy saved my soul. Your grace saved my soul. Your grace brought me healing. So that the arm of the Lord will be revealed to us. The arm of healing. Thank you, merciful Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.